Um, Today's reading is from Romans chapter 11, um, starting at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. As we come to God's word, let's pray and let's ask him to help us as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a speaking God, that you speak to us through your word, that your word is living and active, that it changes us and molds us and shapes us, that it's just the right thing for us at just the right time. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning as we listen. Uh, as I speak as well. Help us not to daydream, but please would you speak to us in a fresh way. Amen. Well, as this is my last Sunday with you, uh, my last sermon with you as well, I wanted to share with you possibly the most important thing that I have learned as a Christian. It's about God and his character, and it's this. God is infinitely wise and knows everything. God is infinitely wise and knows everything. Now, I guess this truth about God probably sounds fairly obvious, doesn't it? We probably take it for granted. Of course, God is totally wise. He's God after all. And of course, God knows everything. He created it all. Matt, come on, tell us something we don't know. Well, this morning I want us to stop, to pause, to rewind even, and to think about this again. You see, I think this truth about God is really important, and it has huge implications. And if we don't grasp this, we'll end up focusing on ourselves rather than God, we'll end up not growing as Christians, we'll be stunted, We'll be spiritual babies. In fact, I think we'll run the risk of drifting from God as well. So let's have a fresh look with the help um, of this morning's Bible reading. You see, our reading earlier, it was from Romans chapter 11, just the end of the chapter and the start of chapter 12. And that part in Romans, it comes at a really important turning point in the letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Rome. And it's an amazing letter. Paul has just been spending his time explaining about the Christian gospel, the good news in great detail, explaining it to his readers. You see, Paul has not yet been to Rome. He's not made it to the church yet, but he hopes to visit. So he's introducing them to himself to them and also to his teaching. And as Paul is introducing himself and explaining the gospel and making sure they understand what it's all about, he first of all explains the bad news. 
He explains how everyone has turned from God to follow their own sinful ways. He explains how we all deserve judgment, all of us, how none of us are righteous before God. In chapter three, he writes this in verse 10 to 12. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. That's a pretty big problem, isn't it? And it's a problem that impacts all of us. We are included in that no one. We are included in not even one. None of us here this morning are righteous before God. None of us seek after God. None of us understand God. All of us have turned away. There's a huge, huge problem. So let's think for a moment, how can a sinful people like Paul describes here, like us, how can we approach God who is holy and pure? Imagine someone in filth and rags approaching the gates of Buckingham Palace. Knocking on the gate, there's a picture of Buckingham Palace there. It looks pretty grand and impressive, doesn't it? Now imagine someone dirty and rags knocking on the gate to try and get in. No chance. There wouldn't even be an answer, sure there wouldn't. Well, imagine if the queen was giving out her knighthoods and her various awards and the person says, ah, look, the gate's open. We're going to try and sneak in when all these nicely clothed people are coming in. They wouldn't get in, sure they wouldn't. They'd be arrested on the way in if they tried to break in. In fact, they probably don't even need to try and break in. If they were just loitering around the gates, they'd probably be moved on by the police. Filth isn't very fitting in a palace. Uncleanliness isn't right. And Paul is saying at the start of Romans that all of us, well, we're all spiritually filthy. We're all ragged because we don't understand God. We've all turned away from him. We're not righteous. God is holy, pure, and clean, and we're unholy, impure, and unclean. We can't mix with him. We're shut out, we're alone in the dark. And that's a huge problem. And then it gets worse for us. We can't fix it. Because we're unclean with sin, we can't wipe our sin away. It'd be like trying to clean yourself with a dirty cloth. You just smear it around. If you're a parent, maybe you recognize the next picture. Um, how many times have you said to a child, don't rub it in, you'll just make it worse. You see, that's what our sin is like. When we try to get rid of it, we just smear it around, we rub it in, we make it worse, we just rub it in deeper. We can't fix our sin because we're sinful. We need someone else to fix it, like a parent coming with a clean cloth, we need someone else, someone who is pure, someone who is clean. But it's no person. We need God to fix it. So that then raises a question that Paul had to explain. Well, how on earth can God fix this problem with our uncleanliness? You see, we know that God is loving, don't we? But we also know that God is righteous and just and cares about wrong and right. See the next slide, love or justice? What's it going to be? You see, if God is loving, well, that's good, isn't it? Because it means he wants to fix the problem. 
But if God is holy, well, he can't just pretend there's no problem. He can't just sweep it under the carpet. He can't ignore it. He needs to do something about it. He must punish wrongdoing. But how can God be loving and just? You see, if God's love trumps, well, then he ignores his justice. No punishment occurs. Basically, our sin doesn't matter. No one's sin matters. But then God becomes unholy if he just ignores it. He becomes unrighteous if he just sweeps it under the carpet. Or the alternative, if love, if justice trumps, if God just ignores his love, doesn't really care, well, then we're all punished, as we should be. But then God becomes unloving. And really, there's no solution. Sure, there's not. How can God solve this problem of dealing with our sin and yet be both loving and just at the same time? That's a problem. Well, our reading this morning said that God is infinitely wise. He is wise and he came up with a solution. His solution is Jesus. With Jesus, God was able to keep both love and justice. Remember, Jesus came down from heaven. He was born as a man. He lived and taught and lived among us, and then he died on the cross. God's son actually died on a cross for us. See, Paul says earlier in this letter, in chapter five, he says these words, they're on the screen. Chapter five, verse six, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse eight, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That first verse, Christ died for the ungodly. The punishment is paid. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our punishment. So justice is preserved. Sin has been dealt with. And God can remain holy and righteous as a result of what Jesus has done. And that second verse, Christ died for us. You see, God loves us so much. Jesus, the Son of God, took our punishment when he died on the cross in our place. He loves us. He took our place. Christ died for us. You see, God has made a way to deal completely with sin, to do it in a way that is loving, to do it in a way that keeps justice right. And he did it through Jesus. See, think for a moment, who could have invented the gospel? Which of us could have planned how to deal with sin and problems in such a loving way, in such a just way? No one but God. Who could have made this up? No one. Only God could have thought of such an amazing solution because only God is wise. On the next slide, there's those words um, from our reading. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Only God is wise. God's wisdom, God's knowledge are deep. They're unfathomable. His paths are beyond tracing out. 
See, God's word says that he has planned each day of our lives before one of them came to be. Imagine that. God has planned every single day, every hour, every minute of your lives. And yet think of all the things that had to happen for you to be born. Just think your parents had to meet. They had to be at just the right place at just the right time to bump into each other and to start dating, to fall in love. And if that hadn't have happened, you would never have been born. And your grandparents, well, both sets of them, well, they had to meet too, didn't they, at just the right time and in just the right place. And your great-grandparents and their parents, and on it goes. All those little coincidences, all those chance happenings that had to occur at just the right time in just the right place. But you're not a coincidence, are you? God planned the history of the world perfectly so that you could be born. All those paths beyond tracing out. God knew all this. He planned all this. Isn't God amazing? Isn't God wonderful? He alone is wise. So, okay, if God is infinitely wise, if God knows everything, well, actually, what difference does that make to us? How should we react? Well, the next verse, next slide, sorry. Again, those words. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? I guess, again, we know this is true, don't we? But how often do we think, oh, if only God hadn't done that? Or if only if God had only allowed this instead. Or maybe if only God's word didn't say that thing. If only the Bible said this instead. See, we often think that we know better, don't we? We want to tell God what to do, what to say. How dare God allow us to go through that difficult thing? How dare the Bible say that thing which is so politically incorrect? Surely Christianity would be so much attractive to outsiders if we just removed some bits of the Bible. But who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who are we to answer back to God? Who am I to disagree with God? Who are you? Were we around in the beginning? Did we guide the creation of galaxies? of solar systems? Did we form the earth? Did we see plants sprouting for the first time? Were animals taking their first steps? Do we know every single molecule and every atom that's ever been? Did we invent the laws of nature to make life flourish on this planet? Only God is wise, so trust him. Only God is wise, only he is perfect. You see the verses um, from the start of chapter 12 on the next slide, Paul tells this to his, um, to his listeners, to his readers. He says, therefore, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
See, here's the thing. If we disagree with God, if we disagree with his word, the Bible, well, ultimately, we're just following the world rather than him. Don't. Trust God. Trust what he's written for us in the Bible. Allow your minds to be transformed and renewed by him as you read his word. Only when we do that will we start to see how good and how pleasing and how perfect his will is. See, read God's word, read all of it, even the bits you don't like, the bits you struggle with. Let all of it transform you. When you have a choice between the world and God, when you read a passage, you think God's really just pushing me on that one. I really feel convicted about that way. Well, choose God. Don't choose what the world says. His way is good. His way is pleasing. His way is perfect. Let him transform and renew you. You see, God being infinitely wise, well, it doesn't just impact how we think. It also impacts how we live and how we deal with life. What do you do when life throws a curveball? What do you do when life goes terribly wrong? You see, if God is infinitely wise and infinitely knowledgeable, well, then God knows what he's doing. His ways are perfect, even in the midst of disasters. We can trust him when life turns upside down. We can trust God when everyone around us is telling us not to. We can choose to say no to sin, even when it's costly for us. Now you might be thinking, well, that's easy for Matt to say, isn't it? He's moving to a lovely area with a new job. He's happily married and he's got two healthy sons. Well, things haven't always been so straightforward. Some of you might know, in fact, some of you do know, I grew up in a broken family. I've cared for friends and family with severe ongoing mental health issues. I know the pain of miscarriage. I've had people spread false things about me. And I've had my own battles with depression and a breakdown. I was signed off for work for five months, not knowing if I would ever return. And the only thing that stopped me from despairing was knowing that God was still in control, even though I couldn't see it. That God knew what he was doing and that his ways are still more wise than my ways. I'm not saying that this was easy, it really wasn't. It was very difficult, very painful. Each of those things have been tremendously difficult. I've battled with questions. I've pleaded with God, I've struggled to pray at times. But in my mind, the alternative without God is far, far worse. You see, if God is not wise, if God's not in control, well, then we've got no hope. There is nothing. And that's no alternative, is it? You see, when I don't understand what God is doing or what God is saying, the problem lies with me, not with God. It's my lack of understanding, it's not God. The problem is never with God, 
God alone is wise. And that's why he is worthy of my trust and obedience and why he's worthy of yours as well. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. God is infinitely wise. God is infinitely trustworthy. So let's trust him. Let's trust what he says and let's trust what he does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know everything. You are infinitely wise. And Father, because you know everything, you know what we're thinking. You know what we struggle with. You know what we're going through. You know what we have gone through. You know, Lord, what baggage we carry around with us every day. You know the things, Lord, that we struggle to accept in your word, the things that we wrestle with. But Father, we thank you that you are infinitely wise, that you have proved your wisdom by sending your son Jesus Christ to fix the greatest problem that we face so that we can be made right with you. Father, please would you help us to trust you. Please would you open our eyes to how wise and knowledgeable you are. Please would you deepen our faith, deepen our trust. And Father, we pray that you would do that for your glory, not for ours, not because there's anything amazing with us or with me, but because you are the one who is worthy of everything. Amen.